My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. The man least likely to say he was wrong has admitted he was wrong in a speech delivered at the America First Policies Institute's two-day summit. The former president, you know I'm talking about, kicked things off by explaining that the US should model its strategy for drug dealers off that of authoritarian countries like China, as in quickie trials followed by death sentences. Marion McKeown is here to talk us through what exactly was said and how the American political establishment has responded. Marion, it feels a little bit like he's dropping a new album in September and he's giving us a sneak preview of some of the hits we're going to need to get used to hearing nonstop for the next two years. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. And you know what it's like? The first album remixed and made even louder and angrier this time round. And mm. frankly, you know, it, one of the things that I think that Donald Trump is looking at things at the moment, and he he is realizing that his best chance of avoiding a criminal prosecution, I think at this stage, would be to declare that he's running for president in 2024. Now, there's been all kinds of talk that he's not going to wait until November because he believes by then the donors will be you know, throwing money at Ron DeSantis and various other people and that he'll have lost his momentum. And I think that turning up in, in Washington, his first time there since he flew off in the helicopter on the morning of Joe Biden's inauguration uh, with an astonishing lack of grace, or on, on the Air Force One, actually, it was. Uh, but but uh, to come back with this speech, and what was really interesting to me is because you always have to watch the crowd's reaction and you watch the applause lines and you watch what really resonates. So Trump came out with, I mean, it, it was straight from the playbook of Viktor Orban. You know, I mean, our, our, our Duterte, our, 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 you know, or indeed the, the Chinese uh, president, because as you rightly said, first of all, he said that the only, you know, what you do with drug dealers is quickie sentences and in this Trump way, and he said, and then the death penalty. So he said he was talking to President Xi of China, and he said, do you have a drug problem? And according to him, this is his retelling, uh, Xi said no, and because, you know, we have the death penalty here. And of course, we remember Duterte, who he hugely admired, the Philippine um, despot, who had uh, death squads going after drug dealers and was reported to have killed some of them himself. And, and you know, this is Trump, this kind of crazy rude, populist, like, you know, race to the bottom. And he loves to suggest violence as a way of animating his base in all kinds of different ways. And this is probably one of the most extreme ways, but he's also got 
you know, this fantasy about the MS-13 gangs. Now, there are gangs in America. It's a huge problem in a lot of American cities. But the way he talks about it, and again, you know, what was more familiar to me than anything else was the lies. Like you could, any fact checker would have dropped out of exhaustion before the end of his speech. I mean, I even got, I almost had to lie down at certain points. Like the, the figures that were coming out of nowhere that were, you know, he says that, you know, by by um, killing drug dealers after quickie trials, you'll save 200,000 American lives a year. What's that based on? What's the quantifiable? You know, where, like, where, and then you, you, you know, deaths will go down 50%. And, but I mean, that, that one, as I say, that's one that he has had, um, before about, the, about the drug dealers. I believe this effort, a joint violent crime task force composed of the Department of Justice and the Department of Homeland Security should be tasked with destroying these organizations. And the penalties should be very, very severe. If you look at countries throughout the world, the ones that don't have a drug problem are those that institute a very quick trial death penalty sentence for drug dealers. It sounds horrible, doesn't it? But you know what? That's the ones that don't have any problem. It doesn't take 15 years in court. It goes quickly and you absolutely you execute a drug dealer and you'll save 500 lives because they kill on average 5 hundred people. It's terrible to say, but you take a look at every country in this world that doesn't have a problem with drugs. They have a very strong death penalty for the people that sell drugs. But the one that I found even more disturbing was he was saying about homeless people. Now, there is a huge homelessness problem in America. It's in Washington, D.C. It's in San Francisco. It's in Los Angeles. It's in New York. It's in a lot of cities. But what he's saying now is that basically you need to make these encampments on cheap land outside the cities and you need to just stick homeless people out there in tents. Now, I saw something similar when I worked in Somalia. When I worked, they were called um, internally displaced people's camps and they were people who were starving, basically, who had come from outside of Mogadishu in a desperation to get to the city and like they had lost children on the way, mothers died on the way, etc. And when they got near Mogadishu, they were put in these IDPs, they were called internal displaced persons camps. And the, just, I, I, I will never forget seeing the misery, you know, where they're just cast out there, they're, they're, you know, they can die of starvation, they can die of disease, nobody cares. It's like they're out of sight, they're not in the city. And that's pretty well what he's suggesting for America's homeless. Now, you've got to take into account a lot of people who've become homeless in the last two years. It's because of COVID. It's because of the job loss, the job losses. It's because of the poverty that COVID caused for poor Americans. Um, and it's because of the fact that when the eviction moratorium ended, like landlords just got rid of them wholesale. So the number of homeless people has spiked. But the answer is not to treat them like criminals, basically, which is what he's suggesting, that they're putting these sort of open prison camps outside cities. And and to me, that was just so shocking. And then, of course, he had all this other nonsense about, you know, the, the, oh, it, it's, it's so depressing because people, you know, then he goes from the 
appalling and terrifying, I think, to the sublime where, it, and this was one of the biggest applause lines where he said that, you know, men cannot compete in women's sports and these transgender men competing in women's sports and the cheers in the Marriott Marquis Hotel were almost lifting the roof. And then, you know, again, this story that he makes up, which is completely unverifiable, where he, you know, he, he talks about the transgender swimmer who beat the, 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 reigning woman's champion. He said he he swam past her so fast he caused her serious injuries. You know, I mean, this kind of nonsense. And then he imitates a, you know, a woman weightlifter. And and it's just, it's a clown show, but it's a really vindictive, ugly clown show. And I think the problem with Trump is that because he's absurd, because it's a crude, like, body, completely unfunny to my mind, comedy, people kind of think he's a bit ridiculous. We've seen how dangerous he can be. Mm. And of course, then he's talking about, I remember being in Washington, D.C. for his inauguration, like, you know, way too close to him at the inauguration, just by by a fluke. And he's when he was talking about that American carnage, and he was at that again, you know, cities covered in needles, awash in the blood of innocent victims, all of this. It's just not true and so he's made you know and but this is his shtick so this is shtick for 2024 and it's it's almost it's like 2016 on crack you know it's it's like that on steroids and i think that he realizes and of course then the other huge cheer was when he sort of now you could tell he had been told for god's sake stay away stay away from 2020 everyone's sick of hearing about how you won and you didn't and this and that and he did almost to the end stay away from him. but then of course he couldn't because trump being trump he can't help himself he had to point out that he got more votes than you know whatever and that he had in fact won and and then of course he ended on the thing well we'll just have to do it again you know so giving his signal that he is going to run and i think that whether he runs or not, he's the ultimate spoiler. What he's doing at the moment is he's trying to stop other people from entering the the, mm. the pitch. Whereas, in fact, the, the, his best chance of winning is to have a crowded field. If it's just Trump against Ron DeSantis or even somebody like Mike Pompeo or Nikki Haley, you know, there's a much bigger chance that, that he lose than if it's Trump against, you know, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, DeSantis, Haley, Pompeo, the whole shooting gallery. So it's sort of... Why is that? Because uh, what if you, if you look at what happened in 2016, um, the reason largely Trump won in 2016 was that he sort of created his own little bit of turf in a really crowded field and it was all like the Mexicans are rapists, build the wall, and it was the whole white nationalist anti-immigration agenda. No other Republican would say it, but Trump reckoned there were a lot of angry white men who believed it. And so you had basically, as I say, you had Cruz, Rubio, Jeb Bush, God, whoever the other 16 or 17 were, we've we've forgotten them all. But they were all basically on the same plot of turf. And it was sort of warmed over standard Republican stuff, you know. And Trump went out there and literally out there with stuff that nobody would have said before. But he gambled that this is what I need to have a populist, outrageous platform that everyone's going to be talking about. I'll get my three billion in free media and I'll just blow the other guys off the pitch. And that was pretty much what happened because everybody else was offering the same thing. And the only issue was which was the least objectionable of them. But Trump was coming with something that, as I say, he knew there was a big constituency of angry white Americans who were going to buy into what he was doing. He saw the Obama backlash and he knew 
that was the time to strike. And I think now, again, that he sees Biden and a lot of America sees Biden as a weak president, a feeble president, a president who hasn't been able. And look, nobody could have stopped inflation happening because it happened for a number of reasons. It happened because of COVID. It happened because of the supply chain breakdowns. And it happened, yes, because the the Fed here was complacent and so was Biden initially, where they were going, oh, it's transient, it'll pass. But you cannot blame anyone for you know, the, the way it blew up, because it's the same all over the world. Inflation mm. rates are all the same in the EU, in Britain, etc. But Trump has, as I say, he, he's talking about coming back with this really rhetoric that's grounded in violence, that ground, that's grounded in flubbing people you don't like into submission. And it, you know, it, it appeals to his base. And yeah, if you figure... Sorry, Charlie, go ahead. Not at all. But uh, so if it is, in your opinion, better that he doesn't, that he, that he has only one opponent. Yeah. Is that because if he has multiple, they're all now doing what he's doing, that they're not going to be those that are, you know, trying to be careful with their words. Essentially, he's now the the fashion, and that they're uh, they're going to give more reasonable versions of what he's selling. But as you say, he's nearly getting out ahead of it by saying, "Well, I'm the the craziest version of what you're going to see from these guys." I yeah, exactly. And it's like he's saying, "I'm the real deal. These are all imitation. These are all Trump light. These are all my wannabes, you know, on my coattails." And then you saw, like, also in Washington, you know, Mike Pence turned up. You'd almost go, "God, love Mike Pence." If you didn't know what a craven, you know, supine person he was, who who found his spine for a day and and then it completely, you know, disintegrated again. But he was in Washington as well. He was in Arizona, and you know, Mike Pence is clearly running for president. And you look at Mike Pence and he's trotting out the old Republican lines and they just sound so 1950s and so hackneyed. And he's such a dull human being. And the problem is whether people like it or not, Trump is a very gifted communicator and he has a charisma and a belligerence and a swagger that appeals to white American men who think that they're disadvantaged, who think that they have so many grievances and they're so hard done by, and, you know, white American women as well. And if it comes to Trump's base, we'll say it's 35% of Americans, you know, if they have a choice between Trump and a Trump imitator who's spouting more or less the same things are a weaker version. My belief is still that they'll go with Trump. Now, I've spoken to a lot of people who say, oh, you know, we're kind of done with Trump. We prefer DeSantis now. DeSantis isn't a whole lot better. I mean, he may be marginally smarter than Trump and more strategic in some ways, but his authoritarian tendencies are alarming as well. The stuff that he's done in schools about withdrawing, you know, school yeah. books that he thinks are too woke that don't say Gabe. I mean, I could go on and on. Like DeSantis is probably as close to Trump as it gets. And yet I've seen DeSantis appear at a number of things. There's something that I find really he doesn't have that populist appeal. There's something about him that that I think is off-putting. People sort of glom onto the fantasy of Trump, the fantasy of you too can be a rich guy with a yacht and a supermodel wife and a this yeah. and a that, and I'm just an ordinary Kentucky Fried Chicken eating guy who's standing up for you, you know. And it is that populist 
thing, that, that shtick that he has perfected, that, it, that that was what really won him the election in 2016. And I think that that is what will stand to him again. As I say, particularly if it's a crowded field, you know, if it's just him and DeSantis, the Republican, it's interesting because Rupert Murdoch, and I'm sure you've seen this, uh, the Wall Street Journal and the New York Post uh, both came out this week and basically said Trump isn't fit to run again. He's not fit to be president. We've seen his character. We've seen, you know, he he's unfit because of what he did with January 6th, because he sat there and did nothing while 150 police were being battered to a pulp by a bunch of armed thugs. You know, and, and Murdoch was never a fan of Trump's, but it suited him because he wanted the big tax breaks. He wanted Trump to look the other way while he did the big Disney deal. And he got everything he wanted from Trump, essentially. But he's always made no bones about the fact that he thinks Trump's an idiot. Um, now, you know, he was a useful idiot for Murdoch, but but now I think Murdoch is of the view. And as I said, if you can take the editorial pages of the Wall Street Journal and the New York Post, they're Murdoch's turf. I mean, the stuff that appears in those pages is just nonsensical most of the time. But this is where they're going, enough of Trump. Let's move on now. Let's move forward. And even on Fox News at the moment, it's DeSantis all the time. It's all Ron DeSantis, this, that and the other. And I think they've already decided, apart from the Tucker Carlson's and whatever, but that they are going to get behind DeSantis, that Trump has outlived his usefulness and it's time It's time for a new guy. So okay. it will be very interesting to see how the whole thing plays out. But I think Trump's main interest at the moment in getting out there is that he believes, and he may be right that Merrick Garland, who is quite a timid, thoughtful, cautious attorney general by any standards, there is a long tradition in America that if somebody is running for office, now James Coney, Coney blew a hole in it with Hillary Clinton, but you don't dirty up presidential candidates, basically. And if you're investigating them, you kind of tend to wait until after the election before you do anything about it. So I think Trump sees his best chance of, uh, you know, his his main get out of jail card and stay out of jail card at the moment would be to declare his candidacy. And then that that once he's a bona fide you know, presidential candidate for 24, that it would be seen as just politics if, if Garland went after him. And, and I mean, there is probably a criminal investigation of Trump going on as we speak, but it would probably be kicked down the road, you know, to pass the election until, you know, presumably after Trump. Well, if, if he lost, obviously it would, it would pick up then. But if he won, well, I'm not sure what would happen. You know, if you, if you won't, um, you know, institute criminal proceedings against a candidate, you're probably not going to do it against a president. So there's a whole murky field out there at the moment. But, you know, once again, Trump is back in the news, he's back dominating the headlines. He's He was back, I like the contrast between him and Mike Pence in terms of, as I say, the adulation, the applause when he said that he won in 2020, the applause when he said, you know, no transgender women in, in women's sports, no, you know what I mean? Like the, the, the sort of the cheap shots that he, and as I say, that the homeless camps, the killing drug dealers, and then, of course, the wall, the immigration, the, you know, Mexico sending us all their rapists, they're emptying our, their prisons in our, in our front yard, et cetera, et cetera. That all plays so well with the Trump base. And, you know, as I say, it's, it's, it's the second album, as you rightly said. And, you know, it's quite like the first one, but, but even louder and angrier. I've seen too much in the last yeah. few years, Marion, to yeah. consider that Murdoch pushing for the other candidate is going to make a difference. I just won't discount this man at all. And there's 
a part of me that does brush aside the kind of audacity and self-pity and self-aggrandizement of this speech. But when he started going into, you know, the authoritarian stuff mm-hmm. that, you know, essentially using this conservative majority in the Supreme Court to get yeah. things over the line, to make things happen, to make him more of a dictator, I've just seen too much to go, oh, that, that's bullshit, that'll never happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But is it realistic to think that those things that he has set out could happen? Or is this less of a taster of the new or the agenda and more of an indication of the direction of thought? I think it's an indication of where America is going. And the fact that it's not just Donald Trump, like he has spawned all these imitators who are every bit as repugnant as him, every bit as willing to trample on any kind of civil liberties, any kind of civil rights, to make scapegoats out of the most vulnerable people in society because they know that that's what sells to the base. And, you know, Mm. so it's, I'm not saying Trump created the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Josh Hawleys, but he certainly emboldened them. He he made a safe space for them. Trump has made it safe for for these people to be their worst, most obnoxious selves and to, to continue that race to the bottom. And and that is what he'll do at 24. But you know what he will also do is he will point out that when he was president, which he's already done several times, that, you know, petrol cost $1.87 a tank. That's exaggeration. Of course, it's wrong. It was never that. It was that maybe in Kansas. But, you know, that's that's his shtick. And people will believe it. He points out there was no infl- inflation. He points out that we did all of these things. You know, we Oh, you know, basically, you know, building the wall, like, you know, he, he he claims that he stopped immigrants coming over the border. It's an absolute lie. 1.24 million immigrants were apprehended in, you know, 2019 and 2020 when Trump was president. So it's, it is, you know, the stuff that he's saying isn't true, but what he is doing is he's presenting himself, as I say, as a Victor Orban, as a kick-ass, as Hartarian figure, who's going to knock heads together to get what he, what a significant portion of America wants, which is to basically crack down on the people underneath them, to crack down on the people that they see as being the level below, you know, the immigrants, the homeless, whoever it is, and that, the the drug dealers, you know, another example. And I think that, as I say, Trump can show, like, again, he the tax cuts, he did get the biggest tax cut, you know, in, in American history. He's not wrong about that. And as I say, the other, the, his other achievements that he can point to, uh, he did, he did keep promises that he made to a significant portion of his base. And he will run on that again and say, I did what I said I'd do. And whether we find it repugnant or not, whether, uh, you know, a significant number of Americans find it repugnant or not, his base will say, yes, he said he was going to do this and he did it for us. And now, you know, we're going to stick with him. Well, when he ran initially, I think we discussed how the thought was that the motivation was, wouldn't it be cool if I ran for president? Then it was oh, I'm going to make so much money after my presidency. Yeah. Now it does seem that the motivation is power and being in charge, that there's no thought for afterwards. And revenge. Well, I I think the motivation with Donald Trump, it's always self-preservation. 
You know, it's it's always, yeah. um, and as I think a big part is that he's calculating, and as I said, probably correctly, that if he's in the run, if he's in the hunt for president, you know, it, in the primaries and he gets the nomination and all that, that it will be very hard for Merrick Garland to indict him. So I think that he, as I said, he sees it first and foremost as his, as his get out of jail and stay okay. out of jail card. But I think also it's revenge. Trump famously is a grudge holder and he really believes that, you know, he wants, he cannot stand that he was beaten by Joe Biden. He cannot stand it. And, you know, and clearly he he knows he was beaten by Joe Biden. He cannot stand what's going on with the January 6th committee. He cannot stand that he hasn't got somebody in there who's, you know, giving their version of events. And he wants to, I, I, I have always, and I think we spoke about this before, people have compared Trump to, you know, the obvious, like the Hitlers and whatever. Trump to me is Viktor Orban. And that's the kind of country that he wants to run. And we know that Orban, you know, he lost an election in, was it 2012? And he was back in, he, you know, he was out for a term and he came back and he's been there ever since. Uh, you know, so I really think, and again, if you look at, of course, for, for the evangelicals, I, I don't know how I even forgot to mention it. He, you know, he will say, I got Roe v. Wade overturned. And you know what he did? He, he did. did. And, you know, so he's, he's got that as well. Like he's got where, that whether, as I said, you like his promises or his pledges or his platform or not, he can point to having achieved a number of objectives. And, and you know, again, he has packed the courts with, with deeply conservative judges. I'm not just talking about the Supreme Court, I'm talking about the federal courts, the district courts, the circuit courts of appeal, you know, in, in a way that is going to shape American law and American life for, for decades. And also, um, I, I, you know, the, just so many other things that the cultural wars that he, he invested in, like even the, you know, the Colin Kaepernick, then taking a knee, all that kind of stuff, like Trump rode in and all that. And people loved it. They loved that there was no fight that was too small for him to get in there and sling a punch in. But as I said, you know, you put that populist rabble rousing, crowd pleasing stuff to one side and he can point to specific things that he did achieve during his presidency that he promised his base. And that to me, is what makes him potentially a potent candidate. But running again, it's about revenge. It's about mm. getting rid of that humiliation of being beaten after one term. And it's about, I'd say, getting back in there and doing what he would like to do, which is to really kick ass. And I think it can't be said often enough that because of the way the swing states have, and not even swing states, states like also Texas, Iowa, et cetera, have absolutely whittled away voting rights and done it in so many ways that are so insidious, it will be a lot easier, certainly for whoever the Republican candidate is in 2024, to win because the combination, as I said, of whittling away of voting rights, of voter suppression, of gerrymandering, of carving up districts yet again to make them more favorable for Republicans, you know, they're really, and, and then of course, let's not even go to the Electoral College, which totally weights everything in favor of Republicans because of the way, because of its setup, because it's so inherently anti-democratic. And then, of course, we see the way the states are run, where you have two senators for every state, and regardless of the population, you know, the whole American structure, and this is the thing, and I know I said this before, Giles, so I'm sorry, I'm repeating myself. The one thing that I found astonishing in the whole January 6th thing was they never touched, they never said, you know what, if we had no electoral college, none of this would have happened. If we had a straightforward popular vote, it would all have been over on November 4th. 
it's nearly they, like that's off limits. It's nearly yeah, it's like, like that's the one don't taboo. Yeah. Don't bring it up. And Democrats um, don't bring it up either. You yeah. know, they're, 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 that committee is overwhelmingly Democrat. It's it's seven to two Democrat. Not a single one of them has said we should look at, even said we should review whether the Electoral College should be amended or got rid of. Nobody will even mention it. It's astonishing. Well, I remember uh, Barack Obama standing up and saying that it's just going to be more relaxing when Joe Biden is president. <laughs> you won't have to wake up in the morning and worry about what the president's tweeted. Tweeting at the television doesn't fix things. I don't know if relaxing is the word that I'd use. And when you say pointing to actual tangible achievements, he was on a bit of a bad run. This week, though, uh, the first major prescription drug legislation in nearly 20 years, more than $50 billion to subsidize computer chip manufacturing yep. and research, and a bill that would enshrine protection for same-sex marriage. Exactly. These, are, these are big wins for him, aren't they? They are really big wins. And, you know, Charlotte, just on that, it's we've, we all forget because, again, the Democrats are so lousy at messaging. <laughs> we forget that. The, Biden has this $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill that he brought in that really is going to make a massive difference to America in 10 years' time. It's not a quick gimmick bill. It's a long, slow one, but it's going to make a huge difference. Like the total revamping of broadband, of airports, of roads, of rail. Um, American infrastructure, I've said to you before, you know, I lived in Nairobi for a couple of years. The roads there were better than they are in New York or, or Los Angeles or any of the big American cities. It's, it's appalling the state of American roads. So I think Biden did that. He also, we've forgotten about Katani Jackson-Brown, who is the first black woman judge and a brilliant judge. You know, um, he he also, just if you look at his cabinet, if you look at his people, it looks like America. He has promoted good people. They're men, they're women from all backgrounds. The common thread is that they're good, they're fit for office. And, the, and the, you know, these things don't excite people, but he has brought back a sort of a decency. And yes, he's made mistakes. Afghanistan was a huge error. He was a bit glib, I think, on inflation. He should have done more sooner. I think he missed a beat initially on the whole green agenda, on on caving up about, and panicking about oil and saying, oh, yeah, we have to get it all up again, instead of saying, you see what happens when we're dependent on oil. Now let's try and work these two gears at the same time. But I think this week, and you know, one of the things I'm intrigued and I don't know why it happened, but Joe Manchin basically on Wednesday evening just caved, just caved. It was like, okay, um, all right, I'm going to, you know what, that climate change bill that I said I'd never support, well, guess what I'm going to support now? And I'm going to support the, the healthcare um, protections and what, I'm going to support. What happened? What happened to Joe? Look, the, no, but he, I, okay, how do you say this? Clearly, they found, they made him an offer he couldn't refuse. Okay. <laughs> Clearly, right. there was something. Now, you know, we've spoken about Manchin before, and I've said, I don't know why they don't go into his backyard, why they don't run campaigns in Virginia and West Virginia, which is the second poorest state in the whole of America and the worst social outcomes, the worst health care, the worst child poverty. And why they don't say, look, we wanted to give you these well-paying jobs, Mansion blocked it. We wanted to give you the child tax care credit, which would give you $300 a month for every child, Mansion blocked it. You know, why they didn't go in and play hardball, I suspect maybe he's he's up for re-election in 2024. I suspect they're saying, you know what, we're going to primary you. We don't care if we, if, if we all lose. And I think that 
it's way past time to have played hardball with Manchin. And as I say, nobody really quite knows yet what went on behind the closed doors. But Manchin just did a 180 degree turn in less than a week. And, you know, after holding out and being like the spoiler and the really deliberate spoiler for well over a year now and really scuttling Biden's agenda single handedly with a bit of help, of course, from Christian Cinema from Arizona. So for him to suddenly fold, it's not that he was suddenly persuaded that Biden had these brilliant ideas. It's not that he suddenly has deserted all his Republican buddies uh, in the Senate. It's I suspect that there's something else going on Mm. there. And well, you know, but I suppose for Biden and for the Democrats, the main thing is, look, the midterms are a couple of months away. They need a couple of wins on the scoreboard. And, you know, the, the computer chip bill, like that, the $50 billion that you mentioned, that's going to be huge because Americans want to see investment. They want to see the future. They want to see that they're beating China or that they're at least gearing up to beat China. And then, the, you know, the bill that would enshrine protection for same-sex marriage, that's a big thing as well. I mean, it, you you have to figure like let's and people don't vote on single issues by and large, but uh, there are a lot of I think gay Americans who are married, and it's a commercial transaction as well. Where does it leave them if that marriage is voided? You know, where does it mean that their wills are invalid? Does it mean that their property arrangements are invalid? What does it mean if they've adopted children? You know, I mean, these are huge, really pressing life matters for people who who have done nothing wrong. Nothing who, wrong, yeah. You know, and, and I I think that for Biden to, to get that um, protection on the statute books, you know, it's a pity they didn't do for the abortion a long time ago, but there you go. He's showing that the Democrats are striking back against what's happening on the Supreme Court, what's happening with the Republican extremists. And I think Americans at this stage, Democrats, independents and moderate Republicans, they crave to see somebody who's fighting to hold on to American democracy and fairness. Because, you know, I know we've said it so many times, but I still believe that a huge majority of American people are fundamentally decent human beings. They can have different opinions on politics. They can be pro-choice. They can be pro-life. They can be pro-oil. They can be pro-whatever. But they have a decency about them. And, you know, I suppose the person who Now, I'm no fan of Liz Cheney's in terms of her politics, but, you know, she to me is a really good example of a deeply conservative Republican who comes from a really suspect Republican family. You know, like really the Cheneys are not, I mean, they may be royalty in Wyoming or they may have been, but, you know, Dick Cheney was, they didn't call him Darth Vader for nothing, you know, and, and, but the fact that she has stood up the way she did and that she has been singularly, you know, amongst all of the the January 6th committee people, the most articulate, her questions have been the most forensic, the most, I think the most brilliant of all the interrogators and all the questioners. And then those short but devastating summaries she has given at the end of each one. She has been undoubtedly the star, and this is a deeply conservative Republican woman, but who looked at what Trump was doing, who looked at the threat to democracy and just put her country first. And I think that there are Americans like that who just still want to see democracy and fair play, whether there are enough of them, you know, I suppose is the question, because there's no doubt if you see even if you see the candidates that Biden has endorsed, if you see some of the lunatics that are running for the Senate on the Republican side in November who may well win, if you look at some of the people who are running for governor, like in places like Illinois and Pennsylvania and Ohio, 
you know, you're just going, my God, where did these people come from? And as I say, Trump didn't invent them, but he emboldened them. He made it safe for them to come out from under that rock and, oh. you know, to be out and proud, you know. So, I mean, it's, it is, it's America. I, I think that Biden and, you know, I suppose God love him after his, his week in isolation with COVID. It's good that he has gotten some things to move forward. And as I said, for Democrats running, in November, they need some wins. They need to show that Biden is doing something. And whether or not it will keep control of the House, them, I think I think Roe v. Wade, I think there are a couple of things. I think Trump's resurgence, there are things that may spur Democrats to come out and vote in the midterms who may not have bothered otherwise because they were so disillusioned. And I think particularly, and I've forgotten to stress it, the climate change legislation that that is going, this um what is it, 400 million odd that he's got, that Biden's going to invest in climate change and green energy, climate change initiatives, green energy, all that. That will satisfy a huge coterie of the, the younger voters because there was a poll done quite recently which said that 94% of under 30s don't want Biden to run again. And that 94% you know, young people under 30 generally don't vote in large numbers in, in elections, in presidential elections. They sure as hell don't vote in midterms. But if they see that this and climate change has been their number one concern and, and the, the, the inaction of successive administrations has been their number one frustration. I think if they see that Biden is actually now doing this, it may it, it may raise the level of disillusionment that there has been and has really been quite high. Well, we've an awful lot more to get to in the second half of our discussion over on patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad. We'll talk about Alec Jones. Alex Jones is not Alec Jones. It's a different person completely. That's a whole different Alex, person. <laughs> Alex Jones, the conspiracy theorist trial this week. And we'll also talk about a potential trade for Brittany Griner, the WNBA star who's imprisoned in Russia at the moment. It looks like a convicted arms dealer is on the table that this this actually could happen and we'll loop back to discuss how realistic is it uh, this justice department investigation into donald trump criminal charges is this enough can can something happen is this why as marion says he is he is now coming back to washington and making these incendiary speeches is that his get out of jail card does he really fear this criminal investigation come on over to patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. Join up and experience all the benefits that our patrons receive. Ready? You have the cameras rolling? This is America. A lot of people who would probably consider themselves liberal have done very well financially under the Donald Trump four years. You encouraged espionage against our people. You condemn any interference by Russia in the American election. By Russia or anybody else. Russia, please, if you can, get us Hillary Clinton's emails. Please, Russia, please. To renew America, we must revitalize our democracy.